This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. 2021 was the highest year on record for documented reports of violence, harassment, and vandalism directed toward Jews. And the 2022 numbers are likely to show the same or even an increase. That's according to the Anti-Defamation League. And this is an ongoing trend. For the past five years, there's been a growing number of anti-Semitic incidents, including the 2018 attack on the Pittsburgh Tree of Life Synagogue, where a gunman killed 11 Jewish worshipers but also thousands of incidents of vandalism of Jewish schools and community centers and the distribution of anti-Semitic flyers. Much, if not most, of these incidents begin in the virtual world, where hate speech often flows freely, even on large social media sites like Facebook and Twitter. It's especially prevalent on smaller social media sites like 4chan and Gab, which generally provide no moderation or censorship whatsoever. Our guest today has spent much of his academic career focusing on anti-Semitism, both the why and the how, especially online. Dr. Gunter Yekeli holds the Erna B. Rosenfeld Professorship at Indiana University's Institute for the Study of Contemporary Antisemitism, and he's an associate professor in Germanic Studies and Jewish Studies at Indiana University, and he runs the research lab Social Media and Hate, which focuses on online and offline forms of contemporary antisemitism and works to develop ways to identify antisemitism and hate speech online. He stopped by the studio last week while he was on the Florida Gulf Coast University campus to give a presentation called Online and Offline Antisemitism, What are the Trends and What Does the Data Tell Us? Let's hear that conversation now. Dr. Yekeli, welcome to Gulf Coast Life. Thank you. Thank you for having me. For starters, can you just give us a bit about the things that you study, your background in academic areas of focus? Sure. Yeah, I've been interested in in anti-Semitic thought for the last 15, almost 20 years. And that was really when um, when I saw a lot of conspiracy theories after 9-11 popping up. And Jews, out of all people, were blamed from 9-11 by many people. So mm. I thought, this is very strange. And I want to learn how people can think these kind of very weird conspiracy theories. Were you already here in the United States by no, then? I came to the U.S. Uh, seven years ago. Okay, so you were still in Germany then? Uh, I was in Germany, but then about to move to London, where I spent then six years. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were born in Germany. Yes. Um, I found your German Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. had to translate it. Mm-hmm. Um, you originally studied environmental sciences, it said. Yes, that's true. It's kind of, I mean, people are also part of our environment. That's the way I look at it. Because so, you also studied sociology. Yeah, that's, that's where right. that overlap is. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so what made you decide? You said 9-11 then? Yeah, and this, um, I was speaking to, um, to people who were convinced of this and other conspiracy theories, and I was just trying to explain to them this, this is sheer nonsense, and I would just stick to it. And so I was really taken aback by how people can think this. And then I also saw a lot of anti-Semitic incidents in, in Europe, in Berlin, where I was living at the time, in London was moving to, so Jews were getting attacked on the streets, and in France, where my wife is from, where I spent a lot of time as well, uh, so Jews were getting attacked on the streets. And uh, so I uh, just was really interested in seeing how can people get so much motivated that they believe in conspiracy theories and then attack Jews on the streets. So um, 
you, you're on campus today to give a talk. Mm -hmm. um, in general terms, anti-Semitic incidents have been on the rise in recent years. I mean, you t you're going back to 9-11, but there's been a, a further uptick recently, I think would be a fair way to put it. Can you kind of characterize that for our listeners? Yeah, this is something <clears throat> in, uh, in Europe, we've seen that in the early 2000s, an uptick. And in the U.S., it's only in the last uh, five, six years or so, I would say. And that became a really um, uh, a source of worry for a lot of Jewish communities here in the country um, after the Pittsburgh attack in 2018. And uh, so most Jewish communities, synagogues and so on, had more or less an open-door policy. They would not lock the door. They wouldn't have much security in there. But now, across the country... All Jewish communities, all synagogues, they think about some way of security. So that is something new. And uh, unfortunately, there have been more and more threats uh, against Jews, individuals, but also against uh, synagogues and Jewish community centers. What would you say from your research and your understanding of this issue broadly, like what's driving this increase? Yeah, it's um, there are so many different factors. I think we should look at factors. So... Not all people who have anti-Semitic ideas act out these ideas, but um, they get uh, many get then triggered by something that they think it's um, it's okay to to act out on this. Or if they if society is in changes, if there's a lot of polarization, which we have currently now in the country, then on the extremes, also people think they can take it out on Jews, and you have these ideas blaming Jews, both on the left and on the right, but in different forms. Is it possible to say, you say it's on both sides, is it most often what we would call white supremacists or Christian nationalists, or is there a, a Muslim element to it, or is it parts of all of those things? Yeah, it's, um, so in the white nationalists, if you want they have a problem, if they think that the white race is superior, they have a logical problem with that because if the white race was so much superior, how come that we had a black president and that we have successful black people? How can they explain it? So if they really think that black people and also other uh, minorities are inferior and they cannot be intelligent enough to do that, so then they blame Jews in orchestrating all of that. So that is... Something, for example, on the uh, white nationalist websites, what you see very often is this idea of the great replacement, saying mm -hmm. there are too many immigrants coming to this country. And it's really not the immigrants' fault, but it's the Jews who invite all the immigrants, hmm. who um, bring the immigrants here. And that was even the motivation for this Pittsburgh attacker, this terrorist who killed 11 praying Jews in Pittsburgh in 2018. This was his main motivation. He said the Jews bring in all the immigrants. Wow. I never actually heard it put that way before because obviously, I mean, I think I, I don't have the exact numbers, but in terms of um, minorities that are being moved, you know, that, that move into the United States, um, Jewish population is a small percentage compared to the overall non-white population. Is that accurate? That's uh, about 2% or so of the... I uh, had three in my head, yeah, so I was uh, close. Yeah. Um, but that's not what he meant. He didn't mean the Jewish population. Well, that's what I mean. But you know, but <laughs> how do they bring them in? What's the rationale for that? It's complete nonsense. Okay, okay. It's complete nonsense. I was trying course. to follow it to a rational end, and I no, couldn't. there isn't. But they believe so much in it that they go out killing people 
and of course risking their own lives. I mean, now he's, um, it's, it's, this is so far, the anti-Semites go so far in self-destruction. And you also have it, of course, you have it also on, as you mentioned, the Islamists. Yes, there is also this belief, and I think we need to be careful distinguishing between Muslims and Islamists. Islamists believe also in this conspiracy that uh, there is a war now between Muslims, Jews, and Christians, and Jews are out there to destroy Islam. Well, that's a kind of uh, mindset that Islamists have. And that's why they also focus a lot of these terror attacks against Jewish communities. And, but then you also have it from the left, and that plays out differently. Explain how that plays out. Yeah, in the left, so one of the main issues in the left, so it's not immigration. Usually people from the left, they welcome immigration. It's more, they're more concerned with um, human rights and racism. And there is um, also this conspiracy theory that Israel is to blame for a lot of racism and for building a nation state that is racist. And so they blame a lot of things then on Israel. There are even conspiracy theories that Israel would uh, be responsible for racism in the U.S. because they train police officers to be racist, which is, of course, again, nonsense. But this is another belief that you see then from the left. And it doesn't often matter. It's um, a mindset that just wants to blame Jews. Um, I read through um, one of your more recent papers. I don't remember the title of it right now. But would it be fair to say that, well, I guess explain, you know, it seems like in some countries elsewhere in the world, there is a high prevalence of anti-Semitic incidents and actions from Muslims, but less so here in the United States. Would that be a fair way to put it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, do you have any idea of like what percentage would be considered, you know, Muslim anti-Semitic stuff versus the rest of it in the United States? Or is that beyond the scope of your data? Yeah, there is, <clears throat> I mean, the data that we have, we have some data from the Anti-Defamation League that um, publishes reports on anti-Semitic incidents. And then we have data that's published by the FBI on anti-Semitic or anti-Jewish crimes, hate crimes. And if you think about it, the we don't often know the, the perpetrators. Uh, so we don't know and we don't know the religion of the perpetrators and so on. So it's really hard to get figures together. But in, in the U.S., it's a very small percentage that's coming from from Islamists in the anti-Semitic acts. Understood. Yeah. I'd like to take a moment to reintroduce my guest. Dr. Gunter Yekeli is the Erna B. Rosenfeld Professor in Jewish Studies and Associate Director of the Institute for the Study of Contemporary Anti-Semitism at Indiana University. He's on the FGCU campus today to give a talk exploring trends in online and offline anti-Semitism and efforts to find ways to identify online hate speech. If you'd like to engage with the show about today's topic or any of our episodes, please do so. You using WGCU social media. Find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. And on Twitter, we're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. So you run a research lab at Indiana University called Social Media and Hate. Tell us about the work you do there with your teams. Yes, we started this um, in a first uh, student-run project in 2017 already when we interacted with mostly white supremacists um, who were sending out anti-Semitic stuff, and we wanted to see what helps in counter-speech, what makes them rethink, what makes them change. So 
Not much has worked. We tried out like humor. We tried out giving them facts or denouncing it. So that was our first interaction. We built some bots and tried to do this automatically. Hmm. But yeah, we said, this is an interesting um, thing. We should continue that. And we tried then afterwards, we tried to get a sense how prevalent really is anti-Semitism on social media, looking at different platforms, looking how that works, what the dynamics are. So now we work with about 15 students um, who meet like twice a week. Um, we meet all online, and so that's convenient. We have some students, uh, most students from Indiana University, but also some from, from Germany. And then we discuss what we can do and do our research, um, scraping data and analyzing data and discussing what can be considered anti-Semitic, what not. So you're trying to come up with, if I'm not mistaken, smart ways to look at huge amounts of data from online information and automatically be able to tell if it's anti-Semitic because there's just so much new stuff posted. I looked it up. 500 million tweets a day are shared. 4.75 billion Facebook posts per day. 3.6 million YouTube videos per day. So what you're trying to do is come up with a way to keep up with that in a smart way that's automated. Is that fair, fair to say? Yeah, or that we at least know a little bit what's going on there. Um, so because, yeah, nobody can look at even a small fraction of that. Um, you need every human doing right. that for as a full-time job. Right. <laughs> and that's what's happening. Most people spend a good portion of their lives online now. So that has become just part of their lives. It's part of the the social life is happening also online. It's not just a tool that we have on our phone. No, we live part of our lives online. So it's highly relevant what's happening there. Most of the dissemination of any information, but including anti-Semitic propaganda, is through social media in some ways. So we want to see what's going on there, who are really actors, who are pushing some narratives, who are introducing these weird and wild conspiracy theories, and why is that getting traction? What are the most prominent or common forms of online anti-Semitism? Yeah, you have um, with this, um, we see a lot of these white nationalist um, ideas, what I just uh, said about the Great Replacement, that is very prominent. Um, but also, more generally, blaming all ills of society on Jews. So that's um, that we see. We see a lot of stuff that Jews get blamed for anything that's happening in Israel, so Jews in, in this country get blamed for whenever Israel uh, or the Israeli government does anything. And there's a lot of distortion as well about what is really happening in Israel. Uh, so we have that. But then we also see actors um, from the Iranian regime, for example. We see a lot of concerted efforts to influence social media and put out propaganda in different languages uh, against Jews. Uh, so we see not only like individuals, but also some organized forms. Um, what are the main challenges of being able to find this stuff, you know, you know, like I said, in smart ways? I mean, it's in different languages. Mm -hmm. um, it may not always be obvious. It may be sort of subtle in some way. Uh, can you kind of flesh through those, those the main challenges? Right, yes, and also to define what is then actually anti-Semitism. Right. Like where's the line? What? Yeah, right. it's, yeah. Right. 
So that's why we have our weekly discussions where we discuss then uh, sometimes one tweet for half an hour or so to understand what's really, what's the message, mm. what people say. Because there's also, luckily enough, on Twitter um, and also other platforms, some people object to anti-Semitic ideas and call this out. So this, of course, you don't want to def uh, classify this as anti-Semitic. The danger is if in certain platforms and there are some like Telegram channels or some fringe platforms like Gap, which is a little bit similar to Twitter, there you have spaces where there's no objection whatsoever on anti-Semitic ideas. And no effort at moderation no. by, by the platform. Yeah. So a few days after uh, the attack in um, Pittsburgh, I went on this platform where the, uh, where the attacker uh, was active uh, gap, and looked at the discussion about what he did. So about half of the people were condemning it and the other half were endorsing it. And the people who were condemning it, what he did, killing 11 Jews in the synagogue, they condemned it because they said he only killed the elderly Jews. They are not the powerful Jews. He should have taken other targets. So that's the level Sometimes you see in some of these spaces of, of hatred where there's no objection. And then it's no wonder if such a unifying hatred is established that some people then take it into action and attack people physically. How closely are you following the advances, the rapid advances of the large language models, GPT? available to some. Um, it seems pretty clear that it could be both used to create online hate speech and, and maybe find it. Uh, I mean, how closely are you tracking that world? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is um, now AI is um, uh, since chat GPT, it's in a way everybody can use it. But it was there already before, of course. What you need with these models, they, um, they are based on a large quantity of data, and then put together something that looks alike. So look at patterns and then can reproduce it. So what they need, they need a good um, basis for training. And so what we, we just published last week, a big training set where we have anti-Semitic and non-anti-Semitic messages that then can be used to train models on it. So to improve these models, um, we're not the only people working on this to improve these models to identify automatically what can be with a certain probability considered as hate speech or in our case, anti-Semitic speech and whatnot. How concerned are you that, you know, a bad person could use these tools with the help of bots, which these tools, I understand, can even create for you to literally just flood the Internet with so much information that nobody knows who's a real person. I mean, this is... I don't uh, think that's science fiction anymore. No, it's, like, it's I would, happening. I, I, that would have felt like science fiction if I said it five years ago. <laughs> no, it's but happening. It's, but that's all real. Yeah, no, and it's, it's already happening. And a lot of these, if that happens in some channels, for example, in some Telegram channel, then they get shut down or people don't use it anymore if they also see it's only flooding. So it's a... Uh, um, this is a big challenge for for us, for all of us now, I think, and especially now for, for younger generations who use this more and more. What kind of, how can we treat the information that we get? We get so much information instantly, 
But first of all, what, how do we check what we believe is correct? And then also, what information do we want? It's just so much. So this is another education has to be changed completely. What we uh, have done at the, the uh, approach in education was a big part was teaching knowledge. We don't need that anymore. Knowledge you can get easily, or facts at least. Well, you need to know what are the facts and what are not facts. But you can get information instantly, always. So this is the question is how to treat this information and what to, what to focus on, what makes sense to us. So that's really a revolutionary time I think we are in. We are. I think you're right. Um, we've only got a couple minutes left, but I want to close with, you know, there's places that there is no moderation, but presumably with the big platforms like Twitter and Facebook, there's terms of services that says you can't use hate speech. Are they doing a good enough job of, of finding ways to automate the search for this stuff, do you think? No, they're not. They're not. But it's only very recent that they do it at all. So it's uh, only last... Uh, four or five years that they have done a little bit of that, but they are not concerned too much about this. But this is also because their their um, economic model is to keep us on screen as long as possible. So they want engagement. And a lot of these hate content is engaging. People stick to it, they respond to it, and they maybe engage in different ways uh, with that. So it keeps them on the screen so they have no economic interest really to um, reduce it. They have it a little bit if um, if the sponsors who ad- do advertisement on their platforms, they don't like it and then they say, well, we don't ha- want to have our ad next to a white nationalist message. So then they um, that's a motivation, but they don't do uh, nearly enough to... Um, do any form of moderation. Do you think, uh, last question and real quick answer, do you think if you or somebody else came up with a perfect tool that you can give to them that would do this for them, that they would use that tool? I don't think so. And I'm not even sure if that's the right uh, approach because you don't want to take anything hateful down completely, but you don't want to have it being endorsed and you don't want to like have it in your feed and a top rate, so you don't you want less visibility of these things, and you cannot. It's impossible to censor all these 500 million tweets or so that go out every day. Um, so it's impossible, even automatically, if you have good programs to do that. But really need to, of course, take out the worst actors and say, well, this is not acceptable because some really, it's not just some some stereotypes that they have that they uh, might reconsider, but some really do it purposefully to hurt people. So this, of course, should not be acceptable on any platform. And in theory, it's not in most platforms, Um, but they don't do anything about it. So I'm not sure if they would. I Mm. don't think so. But it sounds like it's a very big gray area because you want to have freedom of speech, Mm -hmm. and there's a point at which that freedom goes too far. And so, yeah. Well, anyway, that is all the time we have. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Gunter Yekeli, is the Erna B. Rosenfeld Professor in Jewish Studies and Associate Director of the Institute for the Study of Contemporary Anti-Semitism at Indiana University. Dr. Yekeli, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. 
If you missed any of the show today, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org gcl, or wherever you find podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Callaghan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.